what was uh, the name of the movie we watched? Oh, good. Yeah, this is... Now that you can't remember the title... Hereditary. Absolutely, I do. Hereditary. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> it's going to be one of those. Sure. It's going to be one of those topics. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I got you out of the house to go see Hereditary. Yeah. And uh, what might be a surprise to a longtime listener. Yeah. Uh, you didn't care for it. Uh-huh. And I did. <laughs> right. But yeah, so Hereditary is a horror movie which has also been debated in certain like film circles, which is like a tiring debate to me. Sure. After films like The Babadook, like The Witch, people come out and say, like, that's not a horror movie, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, I think horror is a broad umbrella that can ho- have space enough for films like The Babadook, mm-hmm. which, again, I think is saying more about, like, the psychology of the people involved, um, as well as, and listen, those people probably wouldn't have a problem with, like, the teen, the latest teen, like supernatural slasher film mm-hmm. being in, in horror. And that is just a nightmare genre in and of itself. Like who would want that associated with its title anyway? Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so anyway, I think hereditary is a horror movie for whatever that counts. Um, but it follows a family whose, uh, grandmother, uh, recently passed away and her influence is being felt through the children. Um, she was perhaps into some rituals and things like that mm-hmm. and grief uh, and this kind of specter of maybe demonic influence is now left over this family. So you kind of watch the family fracture and uh and these more like supernatural demonic elements start coming out. Yeah. It's less psychological than a film like even the Babadook, where at the end you want to say, well, what was actually seen by the characters and what was, you know, kind of more the mother wrestling, Mm -hmm. you know, with herself. Um, This one comes out and answers it, I think pretty definitively. Like supernatural stuff happens. Right. Demons are real. It's all in this film. Right. Um, so anyway, I I liked it. I thought the visual approach was amazing. Uh I actually really like the acting. I think you you may have had a problem with that a little bit. Yeah. I thought the boy was was pretty bad. Really? Yeah. I the one thing that I will say about him, which listen, as an actor, this is this is the reason why I couldn't be an actor. And Gabriel Byrne. Oh, really? He's I not like Gabriel. He's not good. Uh, the thing with the, with the boy is, and he cries a little bit in it, and sometimes he goes, He does more than Mommy! Yeah. And he's also, he's, like he's also the classic case of 18. like, hey, check out this 16-year-old who's actually 35. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, he looks way, way old. First, okay. I had a oh, huge problem here with the boy. Go. Okay. He, his acting was not good. The mommy stuff was a big That's part harsh. of it. His acting was not good. I understand that casting people to be siblings and offspring of other actors when they are not actually those offspring is always <laughs> a bit arbitrary. This kid looks like nobody else in his family. He looks completely different from every single other person in his family. Okay, So that also threw me off. Uh, his acting was bad. Did I say that already? Uh, three times. Okay. His acting is bad. He doesn't look anything like anybody else in his family, which these are not huge things. I mean, his acting is, is fine. It's, it's passable, right? Him not looking like his family is whatever, but it is so drastic that it just, every single time he was on the screen, I was like, I kept thinking like, did I miss some sort of a side that explains that this kid is like adopted or something because he looks so different from his mom and dad. Gabriel Byrne has a scene where right before they throw the book in the fireplace and, um, 
what's her name? Tony Collette. Tony Collette is like hysterical. If you watch Gabriel Byrne, it's like he has a string attached to his head that's also attached to Tony Collette. Because every time she moves, he's like <laughs> doing these very sharp like movements with his head that are completely unnatural and just like strange. I don't know. Just like, yeah. and it didn't feel like it was like a. I don't know, it just felt really strange. I don't know how to describe it. But there's moments like that that really threw me off. And there's also, when we got out of it, I try to describe it to you as it felt less like a movie, less like a story from point A to point B, and more like just a collection of ideas and a collection of scenes. And the best example I can think of that, although I feel like there's a lot in the movie, is there's two moments in the movie. There's one moment where Tony Collette breaks down. So she is a artist who creates miniatures, right? There's a moment where she's in her workshop and she has a breakdown and she destroys everything in her workshop, right? Which I knew was coming. And the whole time I was thinking the actual person who made these miniatures had to have known this was coming and still had to just have felt terrible about it. That's true. You know what I mean? And, and, and what if they had to do multiple like takes? 60 hours into it, he's like, I don't know if I can go on. Like, were they there on that day? Yeah. Uh, or were they like, listen, I'm not coming to work tomorrow. Right. You smash those things. At one point, clean he's up. rolling up balls with Play-Doh in his hands. And he's like, all right, whatever. Whatever. This is going to be in a corner. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's that moment, right? There's also a moment <coughs> in the movie where Tony Collette and the woman from The Leftovers have an interaction outside of an art supplies store, right, where they're buying art supplies. And you would think that those two scenes would follow each other, right? But they don't. The scene where Tony Collette goes into the art supplies store to buy art supplies comes before she smashes everything in her art studio. And it is also strange because she... So they're in the parking lot, right? The woman from uh, The Leftovers is loading up... Right. And Dowd is loading up a shopping cart full of art supplies mm-hmm. into the back of her car. Mm-hmm. Tony Collette is coming out of the art supply store with art supplies packed under her arms. And they act like they weren't just in the same art supply store. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and they're having this. And to me, like I said, it is a very little thing. I'm obviously reading into it with my own unique idiosyncrasies, right? But to me, that is like, my first thought was like, wait a minute, they had to have just been in the same store. Yeah, but She's I mean, loading art supplies into yeah, her car. But you could also say that Ann Dowd was waiting for her. Ann Dowd knew she was in there. I mean, sure. She, she bought supplies. But make it more waiting. believable. I, I, as soon as that scene started, I was already taken out of it because it was set uh, up so poorly. Well, no, but, but again, I, I chalk it up to Ann Dowd is, is preying on her at that point. She's, she's a predator. Especially for that, I, she's now going to like get her to do this seance thing, and she. I get that, but you're, in my mind, you're also telling a story. You're also trying to convince me of a story, of a real story that's happening. But they here. don't know you. Instead, you're presenting me with a series of scenes that are just like connective tissue to the larger point okay you see that right there when you because you said a variation of that after the after the the movie was over Mm -hmm. and i was like i think fundamentally one of your arguments against films you don't like is basically it's a story it's a film no but that's my problem it wasn't a story it's a collection of scenes compiled surrounding a they don't do a good enough job of making it a story but but they I mean, leave it as a collection of scenes. I, it, in, instead of watching that scene and just being in the flow of the movie, of, of this sort of natural occurrence of oh she just destroyed all of her art supplies, so now she's on her way to the art store. Instead, I'm thinking oh they need a scene 
to set up these two interacting with each other to kick off this seance thing. It's like it's too transparent. Well, there has to be some facade to it, even if afterwards you can say, oh, well, that's her just setting it up. I get it. I get it. I, I understand that. Right. But there has to be at least the facade at the beginning for me to be like to be kept into the story element. Yeah, of it. I, I think that, again, that is fine for you to have a personal reaction to that scene that way. But I think just like anybody else, like one person's going to tell the same story different than the you know next person and the next person, and the next person. Right. They're each going to want to fill in things that stand out to them. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be uniform. And one person might look at the other person and say, like, you totally missed the whole point of that story. I'm going to tell it right. Right. That to me is something that is within the realm of somebody telling that story thinks to themselves, like, and doubts the predator. She's going to to like pounce on Tony Collette for, you know, at any point and get her to do this thing. So she's going to have waited for her outside of a of a store or something mm-hmm. and like go on telling their story and having not seen any red flags to that, which you then would see that and be like, why is she in the parking lot? Why are but they? Even you know? then, if you're just going to make her like, if it's, if it's, <laughs> if it's going to be as transparent as she's just in the parking lot waiting the pounds, then don't give her any art supplies. Right. If you're going to like play into that, then make it be like afterwards, like make something off about it. Right. And that offness yeah. being she doesn't have any art supplies, well, not, oh, it seems like this was just a random scene storyboarded yeah. purely for this purpose. See, I would. And, and listen, I am happy to, ha- to, to let you have this. <laughs> like you, you've said that it's based on your own idiosyncras- <laughs> idiosyncrasies and and, and it's, it's totally fine. Like mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. But if I wanted to try and convince you of another <laughs> uh-huh. another perspective. What I might say is, why not just believe that the fact that she has the art supplies as the thing that makes it off? How did she get those art supplies and not bump into Tony Collette in the store? Which means that maybe she'd previously bought those. Or maybe they're not even art supplies from that store. She just grabbed a cart, threw some garbage in it, and was just kind of like pacing outside or sitting in her van waiting for Tony Collette to come out mm-hmm. didn't jump out and like start putting away this trash again right um all she needs is the cart and the cart she can find in the parking lot so like yeah you know, i mean like you could at least even if it's not believable you could at least create a scenario that that has an equivalent answer to it right mm-hmm. um so the fact that it took you out is fine but i think that that's something that is on a subjective scale. Sure. And well, the whole thing is subjective. Well, I think that there's certain things that might, like, I would agree with you. I don't know how anybody could look at that kid and think 15 years old. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that is something that is, like, valid. I can agree with that. I can see it, even though I like it, and be like, you, you have a point. But that's still not, that um, doesn't make it objective, just because we both agree about that. No, no, no. But, but I can see that I kind of disagree, but I see your point. Sure. But what I'm saying is with that scene in the parking lot, it's like I could think of another if I wanted to, we could each present, you know, a a case and have people side with both of us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So so to me, that's not really something to critique the film about. That's just something to maybe note that you about your reaction. Mm -hmm. But the film, I think I think the boy is probably the weakest part, although I think he does a good job. He does a decent job. He's decent. I also think about like, listen, he gave himself over to his crying scenes and I don't want to make fun of him because I mean, God knows sure, if, he if was I, committed to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If I was like, <laughs> and you came to see my film, you're like, God, you sound like a complete moron. I'm like, I was crying. Okay. I was crying. Leave me alone. Uh, but I, I think what I connected on the film, uh, it connected with me on a deeper level based on the filmmaking of it, it, it had a intensity and a purpose that is also conveyed in, the, in some of the other great like, horror films that I love. Um, Blair Witch, The Ring, even Paranormal Activity, where when you're watching those films, gotta keep checking that spider. 
especially now they're talking Still about horror there. films. He's a little closer to the corner. Uh, but um, you, know, you, you have this idea that, you know, these filmmakers know the story they're telling. So everything that's put in there and the way that it's conveyed to you is intentional. And they kind of have full control of the story that they're telling. Whereas other films feel like good ideas are visual without the other element of cohesion tying it all together, right? Mm-hmm. So like the Grudge remake or uh, Lights Out, which I've talked about on here, which again has some great imagery, but the whole narrative tying it together is just crap. You know what I mean? Get Out? Oh, Get Out is fantastic. Oh. And, and, and again, I think... You, you think that that's more of a of a the grudge and lights out camp? No. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. Get Get Out is another great one. I think Get Out also hits at the fact that like some of these horror movies, The Babadook, Get Out, they have intentionality that also like intentionality meaning what they're saying whether it's about the psychology of a character or about like with get out our kind of social structures um it's all supported in the story and the visuals that they're that they're telling that mm-hmm. they're showing you and i feel the same thing with hereditary but hereditary i think isn't so wrapped up in just being like a psychological picture like the babadook is where you get to the end of the babadook and it all snaps into place and you're like holy crap, that was like really smart and that's really good, you know? Um, Same thing with Get Out, where you get to the end, it's like, it's kind of a fun ride, but you're left to kind of look back and be like, man, that was really well structured and put together. Mm -hmm. With this, it pivots towards the end and basically says, all right, we don't care about the psychology of our characters anymore. We don't care about like saying something about grief you know, or showing you a picture yeah. of grief. Now we're going to like try and conjure a demon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And just show you images that would like feel like that's what, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so it stops being like intentional. And that's where I think you and I differ. The images can then come off as like silly because people are doing things that are impossible, right? It's like, well, I didn't have a problem with any of the imagery. Well, I thought you said like the floating. Yeah, that was a little goofy. But well, see, that's what I'm saying. I think at that point it pivots, and it's no longer like about her grief. Like before that moment, you think was it like ever oh, about her grief though. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. don't think so. Oh, I, I think it's about her grief, and I think it's about her guilt. I mean that, but that's my that again. That's my biggest problem. Is it feels like. There is a bigger story here that they just agree. took parts out of. And so it ends up feeling disjointed. I read an article and, and th- this like, may it not. It feels like there should have been some, a scene before <laughs> the art supply scene. So I read an article. The initial cut that the director actually made mm-hmm. was three hours long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's my biggest problem. It feels like stuff has been taken out and just sort of stitched together to give you a a, a straight line to get through the movie. Basically, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think, yeah, one, I think that that's one of my what other issues with the movie was that you were never, or at least I never was like, I never felt any sort of connection to any of the characters in the movie at any point whatsoever. From the beginning, they felt like complete weirdos, right? (laughs) Like from the beginning, it was never like, oh, this is a regular family that has like a family connection. What is regular? But you know what I mean though? Like the grandmother was in a, was a cult leader. Yeah, but you don't know that at the beginning of the movie, you all you know know from the beginning of the movie is that they're a, Family, L- listen. You, <coughs> I, I think like what, Tony Collette in this movie is never a mother that I'm like sympathetic with. Yeah. She's always from second zero, uh-huh. a 
weirdo. Yeah, but, but I think that that's the point. Do you remember the first time she goes to a grief support group and she kind of has her outburst and she just kind of starts talking about her mother's life, which ends up being about her life, but she doesn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's telling a story about her mom's life, mm-hmm. but really she's like telling everybody about theirs. And there is a, I think that's intentional. If you go back and watch that, I mean, sure, it's filmed. Again, it's filmed to be like all these people are like, "Good God!" Right. I get that it's she- intentional, but my point is that like by the end of the movie, I just don't care what happens because I have, I am not invested in any of these characters at all. So again, so that to me that goes back to part of. First of all, I feel like maybe those connections are built, or maybe that dynamic is a little bit stronger in a longer cut of the movie. Uh, but it also plays into the just sort of impact of the movie, right? Like, I feel like if I had cared at all what happened to any of these characters, maybe some of this stuff would have made me feel a little bit more uneasy. Maybe they would have scared me some more, right? Maybe I would have, you know, cared what was happening. But instead, it just, I mean, it's from the point... Okay, so this is my second issue. Mm-hmm. Third issue, whatever the number is. <laughs> yeah. Next issue. At the moment where the daughter gets her <clears throat> decapitated from an electrical pole driving through the desert, I knew every single person in this movie was going to be dead. Right? Yeah. So I was like, so again, that's fine if that's what they want to do with the story. But like, I, from that point forward, I'm no longer like, a f- like none of these, st- there's no stakes for me. Because I know, no matter how fast this kid runs away, no matter how many windows he jumps through, no matter what he does, he's going to die, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, it, it lost a lot of that tension for me. Yeah. A lot of the tension that comes with like a horror movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree that I think that this film tries to, you know, cut the baby in half and, and try and satisfy two differing uh kind of goals mm-hmm. and it ends up just kind of having a muddled overall feeling that doesn't again elevate it to like pro you know not even to like it follows levels mm-hmm. you know for for me where again I, i'll go back and use like the babadook because i think that's that's a good corollary because in the babadook you're kind of following a um a guilt-ridden or like haunted mother character, mm-hmm. right? As she's trying to push through and connect to her son, and they're both weird, and the kid's weird, you know, <laughs> right. and they're being haunted by a specter, right? Mm. This kind of ghost figure. So, um, in that film, though, you just fully dive into her. Her as a character, her as a mother, right? And as we delve more into her, you connect more to her and you want her to survive, right? Mm -hmm. But the film sacrifices being scary for that pursuit. In the end, you you end up feeling, and everyone I've watched The Babadook with agrees, they're like, yeah, it doesn't feel like a horror movie. You get to the end and you see what what story they're telling, mm-hmm. and it and it all feels like oh that is one person's struggle, right? Yeah. Um, with this film, you you kind of head fake towards that, right? You have uh, Tony Collette, who is a victim of her mother, a victim of the death and bizarreness that's happened around her her whole life that she hasn't stopped to recognize and which is why i think it's interesting that they make her an uh, artist and there's a scene where she recreates the scene of her daughter being decapitated mm-hmm. by a pole and her husband's like what are you doing mm-hmm. and she's like what do you mean this is an objective look at what happened mm-hmm. like she doesn't see it as like blaming anybody she wouldn't have cared if her son walked in who was driving the car that decapitated her daughter or, or her, his sister, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't make that connection because, again, she thinks that she's like removed from this stuff. She's observing it. It didn't happen to her. It happened to her mom or happened to somebody else, right? 
those are that's her issue. But you don't at some point you abandon that altogether and you try to pursue a straight up horror narrative of people trying to usher in a physical manifestation of a demon. Mm -hmm. Right. And at some point you do have to say like, okay, away with you. You're not, you're not the focus of this. This is, and that, that kind of switch, that switch of focus, I think creates what you're, what you're explaining. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like, commit to her. Like if you want me to care about her, then commit to her but you can't commit to her for a little bit and then head fake over here. And then now we're doing this, this whole other thing. So, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I would be interested in a three hour cut um, to, to see what he did. I can see why they tried to streamline it mm-hmm. and they streamlined it to make it feel more like a, like a horror film. The last 20 minutes mm-hmm. is just a nightmare horror film. That's all it is. Yeah. You know? And, th- and that to me is not as, interesting as like the babadook which commits to its one goal the babadook himself is in service of the greater story that they're telling which is why he's not that scary mm-hmm. he's not supposed to be she is supposed to be the lead right and this i think tries to say like in at the end demons Ooh. yeah i mean yeah i guess the pro- i guess that the problem for me is that it, it is a little too much in the middle ground and like we had four or five people, we had a group walk out of the movie. And when that happened, I thought to myself, like, I get it. I understand <laughs> why you're walking out. Like I wouldn't, I didn't want to walk out, but I, I understood. But I, I don't, f- I guess I feel like you can't have an examination of grief that comes from your daughter sticking her head out of a car window and being decapitated by a, a, <laughs> a pole. <laughs> and then your son just continuing to drive home, going to bed, and you finding her body in the car the next day when you're going to get groceries. Like that is such a level of extreme that you can't, like nothing like normal happens after that. You know what I mean? Like that is insanity right that's not something that i can be like like i can understand like losing your daughter like having a gradual ramp up to that end but in a lot of ways the the way the thing that kicks it off which is the daughter being decapitated is just as extreme as everything that happens at the end of the movie Mm. right so it feels like you're going from like a peak then you dip down into a valley and then you just go back to the same peak, right? It doesn't get any crazier. Yeah. I mean, you can, we, we can, um, uh, you know, I, I think that we disagree. I think it, it starts off with this pan in on a miniature, you know, mm-hmm. this, this almost feels like a fairy tale. It almost feels sure. like it's, it's not happening in real life. Well, right. And that was the other thing that bothered me a little okay. bit is it does. It starts off with that almost like Wes Anderson-esque yeah. where it's like, here's the credits and the credit sequence is over the miniatures that this woman creates. And turns out she creates woman, the woman, she creates <laughs> miniatures, all women, like she- the places she lives and yeah. inhabits basically. And then the movie starts with a zoom in on one of her miniatures that transitions into the real world, right? But then you have scenes after that that feel strangely like they're being shot in a miniature. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I'm totally down for there being like an explanation of like, yeah, this was what I was going for. But there was not, for me enough of a connection to that to like not pull me out of the movie mm-hmm. and make it just feel like, again, maybe it's a part of the bigger picture, right? You get a better feeling for that theme in the three hour cut of the movie. But in this version of the movie, it just felt like a, like a wink, like a I visual guess. Trick. Yeah. yeah. It didn't feel like much more than that. To yeah. Me. Okay. I mean, and, no, I, I, 
yeah, I, I'm not willing to defend this. Um, because again, I think it does try to do two separate things, mm-hmm. d- d- disparate things that does kind of set it at odds against itself. Yeah. And I, I think maybe the best thing I can say is it's a victim of being too ambitious, which sure. I would rather the film try to be ambitious than again to settle on like a lights out approach where right. it's like, hey, I got some really crazy visuals I want to show you. Who gives a crap about why, you know, it's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he at least tried to construct something. And um, it, it did make me think at the end, I kind of leaned over to you. And we were watching the, the final credits roll. And it was like executive produced by Gabriel Byrne and Tony, Tony Collette. <laughs> I was like, who writes this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like who c- gets together and they're like, this is a story that needs to be told, needs to be told now. Right. And we all need to get involved in this yeah. thing and make it happen. Right. I think I know, like, you know, if I wanted to, it's, it's a rhetorical question the way that I'm answering it or, or asking it. Because in reality, it's probably like they saw a, a, talented director and wanted to support them so yeah. they are like names in like hey we where we'll support you i don't anticipate that they were like in the writer's room like yeah which demon yeah, are we getting right. it's gotta be this it's gotta be paymon <laughs> right. i'm a big fan of his you this know this is I mean? totally a paymon story this is a paymon story we gotta get that in there that's why yeah. i'm funding this but uh but yeah it did make me think like you know this at some point felt like I feel like this director kind of would like to see this demon actually brought into the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's kind of, like, I feel like I want to find the one interview where he lets his guard down. He's like, you know, really, honestly, it's just been my life's goal to see a demon brought in. And I kind of just wanted to indulge in that fantasy. You yeah. know, and this is what I hope it will look like. You know? Yeah. Uh, I have two more things. Maybe I have one more thing. To, uh, don't number it. Just go with it. Man. Okay. So first, I just wanted to say that I did not dislike the movie. I just was indifferent towards it when it was over. Just kind of like, all right, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, indifferent is worse than hate. Well, okay, whatever. I'm indifferent to your comment. I just don't. <laughs> that means you you more than hate me. But yeah, I I mean, when it was over, just like, and I think maybe that is more a product of all of the hype around the movie. Which I mean, there's not a lot of t- a lot of hype, but it's like all of the like quotes are like, "This is the scariest movie of the past ten years" or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like it got built up that way a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Which I I, I the last few movies that we've seen, going back to Annihilation Two, mm-hmm. people need to stop with the like. It's so scary. Like same thing with The Witch. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like Hereditary. And it's like I know that you get exposure by getting on the posters. Right. You know, I know that that is something that like from a business side makes sense, but for anybody who like loves film and is going to just passively like read that comment, you know, if I respect you at all, I can't help but be like instant classic. Yeah. Like, holy crap. And then you go in and you have like a challenging, difficult work that you might not necessarily be like instant classic, like Annihilation. Yeah. Which is like, that's more of a thinker than it is just like watch 2001 and walk away, go like, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really well-made film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, you're doing everybody a disservice, including yeah. the film, you know? Uh, my s- second play, maybe playing into that a little bit. Gabriel Byrne is not in the trailer for this movie, Right. I, I have that. not gone back and watched the trailer, but I did see it a couple times before I saw the movie. And when Gabriel Byrne shows up in the like first 30 seconds of the movie, I was like, wait a minute, he's in this movie? Because <laughs> he's not in the trailer at all. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last thing I wanted to say, I wanted to get your reading on, is one thing, maybe the biggest disappointment for me about this movie is that it ends up just being another kind of satanic cult story. And I feel like lately in the horror movie genre, that has been the go-to 
trope. What else are you thinking? Ty West. Yes. Like his first movie is that whole, is basically yeah, oh, this. No. Oh, yeah. No, but I'm saying I don't like him. No, I don't either. Yeah, I don't like his films. There's like a VHS segment about that, right? Uh-huh. There's just like a lot of like, uh, the invitation is basically that. It's an hour and 45 That's minute true. long movie where for an hour and 30 minutes, you're just like, hey, what's going on here? And then you get 15 minutes of satanic cult stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just feels like it's been done a lot recently. Give me something different. And I don't feel like this was the exception to that. I, to me, it didn't justify that any more than any of those other movies, which I'm already sick of having that be the thing. Mm-hmm. The standard. Yeah. The go-to. That's it? That's it. Okay. I was disappointed with the cult aspect of it. Uh, yeah, cults are getting a big, um, having a moment. Yeah. Did you see that game, The Cult Simulator? No, I mean, you sent a link about it, right? Yeah. I haven't played it. <laughs> I didn't either. But you can, you can create some cults. <laughs> Um, have you, so you don't have anything else to say about, uh, hereditary? I mean, so do you want to give it a, a rating? Sure. What, um, it, where is it at on your letterbox? I want to talk about that. <laughs> Why not? Because you influenced me too much. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to let it sit. Uh, right. Well, okay. Right now it's, uh, I think it's number two of the, the year. year? Mm hmm. Behind what's number one? Oh, Paddington two, right? Paddington two. What a top two! Well, I've, I mean, you know, I I've gone back and forth. I watched Paddington two again. It's it's such for what it is, and for like children's entertainment, but mm-hmm. also like adult aimed. The way it's constructed, it's beautiful. It's what we need more of. Okay. It's what kids need more of. It's uh-huh. it it it's the the height of what it could be. Uh-huh. It's great. So I am unashamed. Um, Annihilation is up there. I mean, I, I feel like this has been a year of good, um, of good films. Okay. Like, uh, it's been solid, but there haven't been a lot of, um, you know, all, all timers mm-hmm. up there. Um, but now you do have me. Int- oh, oh no. It's number. So. Paddington 2, number two spot goes to a film called The Tale. Mm-hmm. Did we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hereditary and Annihilation. I think I feel the same way about both those films. Mm-hmm. Um, Isle of Dogs, Black Panther, which I love, You Were Never Really Here, The Ritual, Death of Stalin, Game Night, Hereditary, um, I mean, A Quiet Place. I stand by, like, I stand by that. Like, all of those are really good, strong films. The Ritual, I think I had more fun with. Mm-hmm. But Hereditary, just on a visual side, has stayed with me a little longer. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the Ritual is more thrilling, I guess I could say. So what would you give Hereditary? I want a, I want a, I want a rating. You want, you yep. want the star rating? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Paddington two is five, five out of five, obviously uh, the tail. I think I gave five out of five, even though it's lower on the list. How does that work? Well, no, they're, 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 they're right there. But I mean, like, like this year end list is really, it's a combination of what I think is like best. And then what I enjoyed. Okay. So like the tail is not a film that I would say I can enjoy. Right. It is a difficult piece about abuse and, right. you know, recollection. It's like a Requiem for a Dream, five out it's, of five. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, of course, on this list, Paddington 2, you know, go, goes above it because I, I will just always want to watch Paddington 2. Uh-huh. So that's okay. how I kind of deal with ties. Okay. Um, hereditary four and a half. Okay. And I think, I think... The issues that I have could be resolved in a longer take. Mm-hmm. Other than the mommy and yeah, I'm I a mean, 28 year old, 17 yeah. year old. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't get over that. But everything else about the film, I, it connected more with me. It scared me more. It is. See, stayed, I didn't think it was scary. See, it is at stayed, all. 
I'm thinking about right now and I'm getting chills. Like think about what though? <clears throat> there listen. You, it did not work for you. So I think by the end and and we we kind of talked about this after the film. But what is actually scary about it? Well, uh, but here's the thing that I'm saying I can't convince you. Like you're asking me in a way that is like going to demand me to convince you. I can't convince you. It either is or okay, isn't. What scared you about it? So Number one, I will say, like, the, the sense of dread was palpable for me in the same mm. way that Annihilation stuck with me and did not stick with you or anybody else who we went with. Mm. We went with our, our wives, and they were both, like, not interested, mm. right? And I walked away being like, that, that has really stuck with me. The, the screaming from the bear, right? Yeah. The, like, ate the, the uh, you know, Tessa Thompson growing vines out of her body. Yeah, but as I, she, like, disappears. Like, that, that to me, connects with me on just a instinctual level of things that I've maybe thought about or things that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we, we've talked about a lot. Like I love stories of people disappearing into wildernesses, right? I just love these stories of people like just going out on their own and either like marching to the beat of their own drum or like the mystery of like the Roanoke people, like where did they go? Mm -hmm. I find that just like kind of compulsively, uh, returnable like I, I just find myself going back to it again and again and again when i want to like just unnerve myself right mm -hmm. so th some of that is just instinctual from when i was like a kid that like cannot be conveyed but the the final images of tony collette and like what she's doing in those scenes and the absurdity of the image that can strike people as silly but if you're on its wavelength can really unsettle you it's, you know, I kind of said to you, it's like the, the scene in No Country where they're talking about like a horrible thing that happened and, uh, you know, one of the deputies laughs mm -hmm. and Tommy Lee Jones is like, you know, yeah, sometimes it's all you can do, right? Like our human reaction to seeing something that we can't understand sometimes or when we see something horrifying uh, or hear about it, I should say, probably more than see it, is to sometimes nervously or kind of compulsively laugh at it or have a reaction to it, mm -hmm. right? That kind of just registers, I, I can't process that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the guy did what to 17 people all the way up to the mountain and then he did, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's horrifying. And you're like, how do you, how does somebody even, you know, kind of do that? And in this film, when you see some stuff that Tony Collette does, you just register as like, that's, that can't happen. Uh -huh. That looks silly. Or you look at it and you're like, yeah, I, that is just unsettled. I just don't like it. Uh -huh. And for me, it hit me there. It's just like, ah, oh, I just don't. Like, I told you, like, halfway through something happened. I leaned over to you. I was like, I don't like this film anymore. Like, it just, it's, it just started to work and unsettle me yeah. in, in a way and kind of unmoor me. Okay. Same way Annihilation did. Sure. Um, I have a a quick follow-up. Oh, and scary. It's not how, scary. How Tony Collette, what she does to herself. But that's not scary. Okay. That's subjective. I would say it is scary. Okay. But okay. Uh, as a brief follow-up, mm -hmm. have you watched The Conjuring? Yes. I've watched all two. Oh, really? Three? And like the Annabelle movies and stuff? Are there three? I skipped Annabelle. Okay. Is that movie scary? I hate those movies. No. So they're bad movies. They're silly to me. That's a silly movie. Okay. Because the, over the past couple of times that Julia has gone out for the weekends, I do the Google, like, what's the mm -hmm. best horror movies available on Netflix? Oh, yeah. Conjuring and comes up. Every yeah. single list has Conjuring at number one. I mean, every single list I look at has Conjuring at number one, and every one of them starts at like, look, we know what you think, but The Conjuring is the, one of the scariest movies of the past decade. And it's like, or else we wouldn't put it. So I started to watch it like the, other, the last time she went out, and it's really bad. I couldn't, I couldn't watch more than like 10 minutes of it. See, you're, you're a little harsher with these things. Like, sometimes I don't know your, your mental it rubric. It's so bad. But yeah, but, but sometimes I'm like, what? You're like, it was terrible. I was yeah, like, what? The, like, I mean, just the I couldn't get 30 seconds in. The I'm acting like, wow. was bad. The writing was bad. The whole setup was really bad. Yeah. 
And I just was like, people are watching this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I would say out of all the contract, like I-, I fell prey to your, to, to that stuff too, where like the contract I fought for so long and then I watched. And again, it's just a goofy idea of demonology. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a goofy premise. It's the same thing where like people are like the exorcist is so scary, but like it ends with a, with a priest, like basically like tremorsing a demon where mm-hmm. like at the end of tremors, remember you're like, jumping on the floor mm-hmm. at the edge of a cliff and then jumps out of the way as the worm <laughs> bursts through the wall, right? Where sure. the where the priest is basically like, come get me. And then he jumps out a window. Right. Like, you know, I mean? like it just doesn't make sense. It's yeah. just goofy, you know? Sure. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember watching the Exorcist getting to him being like, that's the solution. And that's like, what? Like, I understand why people are freaked out in the beginning. But come on. Yeah. And that's the same thing I feel like with The Conjuring. But that's one thing really quick that I'll say about this movie. I spent a good part of my weekend uh, researching like demonology. Oh, right. Uh, and this film actually like <coughs> takes a real demon. It references these like real texts from like yeah. the 15th through 17th centuries. And my question to you, because I've, saw this demon's name on the soundtrack listing and it made me look up on my way walking to the theater. I talked to you a little bit about it before it started, but I was like, how do these, how did these monks or whoever write this stuff? Yeah. Like, was it just like crowdsourcing like a Tolkien novel where it's like, Hey, listen, we got a big empty hell. It's gotta be filled with something. <laughs> so how many variations of Hobbit do we want to create? Right. You know what I mean? Like, where it's just like, but researching it, it's like based on numerology and like stuff in the Bible where it's like a third of the angels fell mm-hmm. and then another verse references like, well, there's this many angels. So then they like mathematically come up with like this many demons, right. you know, this is the number for them. And so it like, it kind of, it, it illuminated like how all this stuff kind of was birthed. Mm-hmm. And this film takes that kind of, as seriously as you can in a way that I think the conjuring again, only kind of my, my phone just like flashed and started recording me. It's Paymon. And it's bringing up the conjuring. Oh, so I heard you say, Hey Siri or whatever. They say, Hey Siri. Well, I'm just saying like, that's what it interpreted. I think there's a demon in my phone. I think that's clearly (laughs) right. Obviously. But, uh, but yeah, so that's something that this film, I think also unsettled me about too, is like, it didn't give me a conjuring demonology. Mm. It gave me, again, it gave me this feeling of like, I think this director kind of wants to see this demon brought into life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Same yeah. thing with the witch. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's something that we've talked about a little bit to where some of these movies or some of these things we read and watch and listen to are just so tapped into like this folklore or this just source of information that I am completely unfamiliar with. And I'm like not faulting them for that. But like at the same time, I have to acknowledge that like I'm not getting as much out of Mm -hmm. hereditary as I could just because I have no familiarity whatsoever with the deem with Paymon the demon. Yeah. The, the mischief demon or whatever. So it's like maybe like, you know, that, I'm sure that that provides like a deeper experience with the movie. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't have that. The, the one thing that I will say like a negative in terms of storytelling that this film does a crutch. I see a lot of, uh, you know, narratives take on is like the, uh, clueless protagonist who gets in way over their head very quickly mm-hmm. and then tries to resolve the issue while also never taking the time to understand it. And so this one too, like she's like, I've got to fix this. I got to fix this. Like there's a time where, like a 10 minute stretch where Tony Collette seems bent on only resolving or fixing what she's done. She, mm-hmm. she realized that she's like started bringing something about that she'd never fully intended. But then her response to that is basically just like a knee jerk reaction to like, uh, when I tried to burn this book, I started burning. So we just got to burn this book. Yeah. <clears throat> and to me, it's like another reason why I love films like the ring is it actually like takes the process by which, somebody might try and resolve a, a 
issue like with actually care and concern mm-hmm. like you follow that woman try and solve the problem that she's presented herself with by watching this tape and find a solution mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that is a compelling arc versus the person who's like i've got to fix this yeah and you know like in 15 minutes they're going to be dead and their idea for fixing it was like not taking a gun and confronting the killer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, listen, I, we, we got him this time. Yeah. And it's like dark and stormy night going to their lair, you know, and they left their gun at home and they're still like, crap, well, it's got to be tonight, you know? Yeah. And it's like, uh, they're, they're not serious about saving themselves. So why should I care as an audience? Yeah. And with Tony Collette, at some point you realize like, why, why, why should I care? Because she's not, Stopping to like read all these books. She's just finding pictures and being like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the lady. Okay, you made that connection. Mm-hmm. But then that doesn't mean that your reaction is then just the first thought that comes to your head to do that. Yeah, I mean, look, not to get back into it, but that, you know, again, another example of that. I is, gave you your nitpicks. You give me mine. I'm, I'm just saying. Fair, I'm just saying. Trade. But I'm just saying, like in a, in a two-minute span, you have the two meeting outside of an art supply store. And then two minutes or less later, they're in her apartment conjuring a spirit, right? And Tony Collette is completely freaked out, right? There's like no, there's like no scene where she's like, hey, like obviously I'm not going to go back to this stranger's apartment who I've met twice and conjure a demon, but I'm kind of curious about it. Like it just happens in the span of two minutes. And she's completely freaked out about it. And then five minutes later, she's doing the exact same thing in her house yeah. that she was completely freaked out about. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like there's a lot missing in that sequence. So without getting into it, I will say, again, going back to, I think a predator-prey relationship is, is in play. And I also think the film's about mental illness. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't. I am okay. not. I am not right, indulging to more to that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm saying that's my mic drop moment. <laughs> okay. Right now, okay. you should just be hearing me peeling out of your driveway. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. 